0: it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is.
1: In scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him which was confirmation that in this moment, when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her and that in an instant from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me To help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind, she wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment.
2: Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. Every story is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16.15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find every story wherever you listen to podcasts. Also follow doxology bible church on facebook or instagram at doxology bible want to share your story or know someone who might send us an email to stories at doxology.church because everyone has a story
0: hey it's chris freeland and you're listening to the doxology bible church podcast If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is.
3: It's a great morning of worship, isn't it? Absolutely. My name is Jay Felker. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, excited to be with you. It's an exciting time here at McKinney. As Chris uh, mentioned earlier, uh, we're on the tail end of uh, Beyond Ordinary series and looking at what the next three to five years entails for us as, as a body of believers. And for each of us as individuals, uh, that means uh, God calling on us to do something and, and us responding. And so in many ways, what we're going to look at this morning really does flow uh, with, with what we've been looking at and, and where Chris has been kind of leading us through the scriptures. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, my hunch is for, for all of us, we face circumstances where we, feel, we felt ill-equipped uh, to meet the needs that were before us. We face situations where we didn't feel like we had what it took to be able to, to walk in there and uh, to meet the need that was, was present. Uh, I think about first jobs, right? I want you to think back on your first job. I mean, were you really prepared uh, and you may say, how prepared do I have to be to bag groceries, Jay? You know, But were, were you prepared for the job that you had? Did you experience the, those butterflies the night before? That doubt about whether you could do it? Or perhaps after that first experience, maybe even feeling like, man, I don't want to go back there. I can't, I can't measure up. Because that was my experience. That was the experience of my brother. Uh, our first job, uh, we were little league umpires. And this was the training for a Little League umpire, or at least our training. Uh, did you play Little League? Yes? Okay, this is looking good. Um, do, you re- do you realize that three strikes make an out? Yeah, we know that. All right, you're good. Uh, show up 10 minutes before the game, and we'll assign you. And so that's what we did that first night. We, we showed up uh, to the umpire station 10 minutes before, and we got sent out to our, our different fields. And my brother was assigned to a t-ball game. Have you seen a t-ball game? (laughs) If you've ever seen a t-ball game, every player or child that goes out there isn't really sure which is first base and whether you have to run this way or that way or whether you can just kind of hit all of them at one time. Um, There's something else that's usually true about t-ball games. Uh, Typically, every mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, brother and sister, and even pets show up for the game. And they're all yelling, right? They are all involved in that game. And so my poor brother shows up to that field not knowing the chaos that he was supposed to try to rein in. And he walked in, and it was, it was awful. It was awful. And, and at the end of that night, we're going home, and he, you know, I said, well, you know, we get to do this you know, two nights from now. And he said, you do. I'm not going back. Is that I've had enough of that. There's no way. And it really does remind me, because we all face those circumstances where we feel completely ill-equipped. We feel challenged. We feel like we don't have what it takes to do the job, to meet the need. But what gives a person staying power? What helps a person to be able to, in the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of times that are hard and circumstances they're challenging, that they are going to stay the course and push through? And here's where I think it's really timely for us, because we just got through with this vision series. And for some of us, we've already been involved in serving. You're a part of a community group. You're helping in children's ministry or in student ministry. You're discipling your kids. And here's the thing that we find. Those things are hard to do. I mean, parents, am I right? I've got two boys, and I found it, it is so challenging to disciple them. I mean, we talk about sharing one day, and we're, we're fussing over the Lego the next day. I thought we covered that, you know? I checked that one off. I, we've got to go back and do it again. Or being a blessing in our neighborhood. It's something that we may long to do. I don't know about you, but it's hard because our neighbor's dog woke us up at 5 a.m. Or they play their music too loud from their garage. It's hard to, to really reach out and to seek to meet a relationship when we're still holding those grudges. So how is it that we stay the course and we meet the need, however long it may take, how do we get to a point where we have that kind of faithfulness to do the job until we see it complete. And Isaiah gives us a great picture this morning. Isaiah's ministry was one that lasted a long time. He faced difficult circumstances. He faced obstacles that would have been challenging for him. Days that he would have wanted to quit, nights that he would have had self-doubt. He stayed the course. He finished strong. And he gives us a great model for us this morning of what it will look like for us to finish the task that God raises up for us to do in a way that does declare that he's the one that's working, but we're merely his instruments. And so this morning we're going to look at Isaiah 6. And if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 6 with me. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we've got these Bibles scattered around the auditorium. We'd love for you to follow along with us. Isaiah 6 is on page 477 in one of these. <clears throat> and let me give you some background about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was written at a time um, when the nation of Judah. Uh, had really gone away from the Lord. They were worshiping false gods. Uh, They were no longer looking to the Lord to be the leader, the provider of their nation. And not only was that going on, but the, the nation of Assyria, who was just on their eastern front, was rising in power and military might. And all of a sudden, they began to worry about what their enemies would do to them. They began to worry about whether they would be able to face that type of challenge or not. And God sends Isaiah to this nation that's dealing with this anxiety about the circumstances of their day and looking at whether they'll be um, wiped out by this this empire that's building or not. And and Isaiah goes to the nation of Judah, and he declares a message to them. He declares a message that you've lost your first love. You have left the Lord. You You have ceased to worship him the way that he truly deserves. You've got to come back. You've got to come back to worshiping the one true God and seeing him for who he is and orchestrating your life around that worship and that truth about God and who he is. So Isaiah is sent with that message. And really what he does here in chapter six is he, he gives us a personal story of how it was that he received this call, how it was that he received this type of task to go to a nation in rebellion call them back to God. In chapter 6, verse 1, you can see there, he gives us a a moment um, when this call came. Look at what it says. It says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. See, in the midst of this political transition that was taking place, Isaiah receives this vision. And we understand the way that politics can make us feel uneasy about life, right? Every two to four years, we, we look at the way that the elections are going to take place and the way the elections are going to turn out. And sometimes we have that same type of worry, that anxiety about who's going to take control, who's going to have authority, who's going to provide direction for our country. And that's the type of situation that Isaiah would have been experiencing. He would have been thinking, now that Uzziah is dead, who's going to take over? Are they going to rule with integrity? Are they going to lead us back to the Lord? Are they going to rule selfishly? Are they going to be able to have the strength to meet the need that we have as a nation? Or are they going to be weak and not be able to rule us effectively? And we, we know that. We saw that a month ago with, with the government shutdown, didn't we? If you look at the news outlets, they, they were proclaiming that this is the, the end. They were they were driving these negative messages into our minds about the direction of our country. It was easy for us to worry in that. And maybe not for ourselves, but maybe for our children, right? Thinking, what type of country, what type of world are we bringing our children into? What type of, of country are they going to inherit? We understand what Isaiah would have been experiencing here. He would have been so anxious about the direction of this nation that he was called to go to. And look at the vision that God gives him. It's very timely. Because God doesn't give him a vision of the next ruler. He doesn't say, hey, here's your next king. This is the way this guy's going to rule. You can have great hope that maybe he'll turn out good, but he'll fall for- flat. He'll fall short of the standard that a king of this nation should have. And that's not what God gives him. God gives him a vision of the true ruler over not only Israel, not only Judah, the true ruler over the earth. See, it says there that he sees the Lord who's high and exalted, that God is transcendent, that he sits above his creation, that he rules over all of it. That there's, there's no area of this world where he does not orchestrate, where he's not working, that he's not sovereign and in control of it. And he also says there in verse 1 that he sees the Lord and he's seated on a throne. See, here's what Isaiah is experiencing in his own world. He's experiencing all of this transition, all of this change that's taking place. And he's worried that maybe something has happened. Maybe God has changed. Maybe this isn't the way it's got to be if God is in control. And yet what God gives him a vision of is that he is still seated on his throne. That though things may change on this earth, though things may change in Judah, what's taking place in heaven is the same thing that's always taken place. And that is that God is securely still ruling over everything. What a comfort to Isaiah in those moments to remember that God had not forsaken him, that God had not forsaken his nation, but God was still in the midst of it and ruling through the details to bring about his perfect plan. And the vision continues in verse 2 and 3. Look at what it says. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. They were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, these, these seraphim, these were angels. And all they were supposed to do day and night forever and ever was to worship God. They had six wings, and with two, they were covering their faces. They were covering their faces because God was too pure for them to look upon. He was too, he was too holy for them to see. With two, they covered their feet, because not only was God too holy for them to see, but they were too impure for him to have to look at. See, God was too pure to even look on someone who had any type of impurity, such as an angel. They were distant even from God, even in his presence, because there's no one like him. There's nothing like the Lord God. And they begin this chant in verse 3, and this chant says, God is holy. It says, holy, holy, holy. And for the Jewish people, this idea of holiness was something that they restricted just for God, that God was different from the world, that there was nothing like him. And certainly when it comes to his nature, he was different. But primarily the way they used the word was that his purity, that he had no blemish, that he had no stain, that the sin that has infested the rest of the world, the sin that has infested our hearts, has infested our creation, has infested him. In no way has it touched him. In fact, the prophet Habakkuk says that his eyes are too pure to look on evil. That's what they're thinking about as they're chanting this. And yet, despite the fact that God is transcendent, that he sits elevated above his creation, what's so cool about the passage is look at the second line of what they're chanting there. It says there that the whole earth is full of his glory, that God chooses to use his creation to make himself known, to declare his nature, declare his power, declare his character. Some of you may have looked at the sunset last night as these, these beams of light were shining through the clouds. Just awe-inspiring. Just beautiful. It reminds us of, of the one who made this. A few weeks ago, our singles group, we, we went out uh, on a retreat. And uh, we went out in, into the country. And, and one of the first things that we did as we arrived, we got there after the sun had gone, gone down. So we went and we laid in the grass and we just looked up at these hundreds of stars in the sky. Just feelings of wonder at what God has made. It's awe inspiring that God chooses to use His creation to draw us closer to Himself, to make Himself known to us. That's what Isaiah hears. Isaiah hears this time of worship of these angels to God, but here's what's so cool about it He receives the benefits. That what happens is they're worshiping God, and yet He overhears that He sees what's taking place. And it's not just that these are new concepts to Him, but these were things that He already knew. He knew that God was was the one who made everything. He knew God's nature. He knew that God's character. He knew God's position that He was seated on the throne. But here's the thing: He had forgotten. He had forgotten these truths, and we do the same thing oftentimes too. We will go to a, another, another person we'll say, hey, God is sovereign. God is in control of the situation. You just need to trust him. And yet, minutes later, what will we do? We'll worry about how we're gonna pay for our car or how we can, our insurance claims are gonna go up and how are we gonna provide for it? How's God gonna provide for that? We know that God's sovereign, yet we worry. Here's one that I'm guilty of a lot of times. I will, I will bless the food and I'll talk about, God, thank you that you're our provider and you provide good things. And then as I'm eating that leftover chicken, it's kind of a rubbery feel, um, I'm sitting there and I'm complaining about it. See, here's the problem. It's not that we don't know, it's that we so quickly forget and we need to be reminded. And that's what Isaiah gets. He gets a reminder with this vision of who it is that he worships and who it is that he is. Because that's the way he responds. Look at verse five. In verse five, he says there, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, here's what's so incredible about this. Isaiah sees the Lord, and he doesn't then conclude about himself. Man, I gotta get it in gear. He doesn't conclude I guess I'm not as good as I thought I was. He doesn't say, okay, here's the deal. All right, this this area of my life, I've really got to clean up. And and my thought life, I've got to make sure that it, it no longer looks that way if I'm going to stand before him one day. That's not what he says. What he says is, I'm ruined. I don't deserve to live before this type of God. If he is the one who's the king, if he's the one who will be my judge, I deserve death. I deserve judgment before him because he's too holy, he's too pure. I can't measure up. I've got nothing I can bring to the situation. I've got no contribution that I can make to make myself better in his sight because my lips are wicked and my lips reflect my heart. My heart is desperately wicked. I've got nothing that I can bring. It's a wonderful reminder, a great example for us because here's the truth that Isaiah finds. It's one that we have to be constantly reminded of as well. We don't see ourselves rightly until we rightly see the Lord. See, it wasn't until Isaiah came to the point where he he had this moment where he saw the Lord, this moment where he was reminded of God's nature, he was reminded of God's character, where he could really see who he was where he could really understand the depths of his sin, the depths of his rebellion. But once he saw the Lord, all of a sudden he looked at himself differently as well. Here's the story I like to share to kind of illustrate this idea. When I was in college, um, I I had this idea that I was going to try to walk on to a football team. Okay, good. There are no laughs, so you at least think that that's... okay idea. But I decided I was going to try to walk onto a football team. And so I went out for a semester. And every day, uh, and I think what motivated, I saw Rudy too much growing up. And so um, (laughs) I got to know the training staff really well, just like he did. Um, But I walked onto the football team. Every day I was practicing with them. Every day I was lifting weights with them. Um, I was lifting weights with the kickers, but I was not one. So that needs to go ahead and be clarified. But I was was lifting weights with them. I was was practicing with them. And this is what I noticed about college athletes. They have a lot of athletic ability. (laughs) They have, for the most part, have tremendous work ethic. They are very intelligent about the game that they play. Um, by and large, for those of you whose teams lost yesterday, I'm sorry, that may not always be the case. But by and large, they're extremely intelligent at what they do. They have great ability. They have great work ethic. And here's the deal. When I was walking day by day and seeing them, it was pretty clear, something you could have told me before those experiences, that I didn't measure up to them, that I was not a college athlete. It was in seeing them that all of a sudden I was able to see who I truly was. And that was not it. And that's what happens for Isaiah in a much grander way right here in Isaiah six. All of a sudden he sees the Lord. He sees God's character and what he decides is, I don't measure up to that. There is no way that I am anywhere near that. That's not me. And not only did he conclude that that's not me, he concluded there's no way that I could ever stand in his presence and bring something to the table. Here's what's so powerful about Isaiah's vision here, though. Isaiah sees the Lord. He sees his nature. He sees his character. But there's one thing he doesn't see about God in this vision. There's one thing that he underestimates about God, and that is God's grace. And it shows up in verse 6 and verse 7. Look at what it says there. In verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah was absolutely right in what he concluded, which is he deserved judgment. He deserved destruction. He deserved death before God. But God's grace stepped into that need. It stepped into what Isaiah could never meet, and God met the need that he had. God forgave his sin. He cleansed him of his sin and that punishment. And that burning coal is a symbol that God uses as a symbol of of the transformation that took place, of the change that took place in Isaiah's standing. In the same way, we all need that as well. We need to be changed. We need God's grace to step in and meet the need that we have before him. And the cross is a great symbol that also illustrates God's grace. It illustrates the idea that everything that Isaiah sees about God's holiness, everything that he sees about God's purity is absolutely true. And that everyone that does not meet that standard deserves judgment, does deserve condemnation. But here's the powerful thing about the cross. The cross is also a symbol that illustrates the idea that God's love will go to whatever depth it takes to meet the needs that we have. Because God did not spare his own son, but Jesus took the judgment. He took the condemnation that we deserved upon himself as our substitute. Isaiah is a wonderful reminder of God's grace. He experienced God's grace. He, re- he was able to come to a point where he saw the way that he didn't measure up He saw the need that he had and he not only came to know all of those truths about God, but he came to experience them himself. He came to experience the idea that God longs to redeem people and to save them out of the depths of their sin. He came to experience that. That was a part of his story. It's part of his story. that He came to understand what God's grace was, that God's grace means that there's nothing he could do to make God love him less. That he had been immoral. He had been an idolater. He had been selfish. All of those things are true, and yet God's love remained constant. God's grace also means that there was nothing he could do to make God love him more. Because it didn't matter. Isaiah couldn't bring something to the table. He couldn't say make promises of, of offerings that he would make or of a lifestyle that he would try to implement now in his life. That's not how he received God's grace. He received God's grace as he recognized his need and recognized the idea that God was the one who would meet it for him completely. And that's what we all need as well. If you're not a Christ follower this morning, Isaiah's message to you would be that you need God's grace, that you need to come to a point where you recognize God's standard, you recognize that you don't meet it, and you recognize that Jesus is the substitute he's provided so that you can have a relationship with him, so that your sin can be paid for, so that you can live a life of freedom in the spirit and have a relationship with God that has no end. You can do that this morning. You can do that simply by saying, God, I don't measure up. And yet, God, I I believe that your son Jesus is my substitute, that he paid for my sins on the cross. I'm trusting in him as my savior. I'm trusting in him to be the one that provides me with that relationship that I'm longing for, that relationship that I need. This morning, I'd love to pray with you if, if that's the decision that you're making. As if, if you look at this and you say, that's me. I, I don't measure up. I, that's what I need. That's what I'm looking for. I'd love to pray with you afterwards. I'll be down front. Some of our elders and their wives will be down front as well. Here's the incredible thing about God's grace God's grace as it works in a person to transform who they are, it never leaves them in that place. But also, it always compels them to something more. And that's what happens with Isaiah. Because in verse 8, a need is, is proclaimed. Look what it says. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? See, God doesn't give a job description here. He doesn't he doesn't outline the type of person he was going to need. He doesn't outline the type of, of gifting that they would have to have, the type of experiences they'd have to have. He simply says, who will go for us? Who will I send? Oftentimes that's the way that God works. God doesn't give us every detail as he leads us down a path of what this is gonna look like. But, and one of the reasons he does that is that he's, he's forcing on us to, tr- to trust him each step of the way that he's going to provide. He's going to meet the need day by day, step by step, as we're faithfully walking down the path that he's laid before us. One of the things that's interesting as you look at this is this idea that God is sending someone out, that he is wanting to use someone to go out and to meet a need. And we see that throughout Scripture, that God is a God who sends. That's very true to his nature and his character. We see that as God the Father sent the Son to the world as God the Father and God the Son send the Spirit to the world, as Jesus sends his disciples into the world. God's always been about sending people to be a blessing to all the earth. One of the reasons we at McKinney talk about, we don't want just to have great ministry in here, but we want to be sending thousands of Christ-centered people into their neighborhoods, into their schools, into their workplaces, is because we want to reflect that attribute of God's nature, that he's one who sends So we want to send. We want to send people out to do great ministry out in their homes, in their workplaces. So God makes this appeal. He he calls someone to come, and look at the way Isaiah responds. See, grace compels him here at the end of verse eight. And I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah doesn't check to see if he has margin enough to meet the need. He doesn't ask for more details before he agrees to go. He simply says, God, I know who I am now because of of who you are and the way that you have changed me. And based on that type of grace that I've received, if you're going to, to present a need, what else can I do? How else could I respond but to when you present the need to step into it to lean in and to make sure that I'll do whatever it takes because of what you've done to meet the need that I have. That's what God calls on his followers to do, to lean into those situations. He doesn't know if it's going to be difficult or not. He doesn't know if this is gonna be successful. He doesn't respond based on where it is that God is sending him. He, based on, he, he goes because of what God has already done and that certainly leads to that second point in your bulletin. God expects us to respond to who he is, not where he sins. God expects us to respond to who he is, not where he sins. Oftentimes he does send us to difficult situations. Oftentimes the places he sends us are gonna make us feel uncomfortable. For some of you, you've already stepped into to serving the Lord. You just got done serving in children's ministry. You've got... You've got student ministry on Wednesday night or you're serving in your community group or in your ABF. And one of the things that you find as you serve and as you lean into these situations in your neighborhood or with others is you find that oftentimes they're challenging. Oftentimes you feel like you don't, you don't have what it takes to meet the need, that you don't have the wisdom that that person needs. You don't have the strength to help that person there yet that's not the reason we respond. We don't respond to God's call because he promises it's going to be easy, because he promises we'll be successful, or he promises that everything will work out just fine. We respond to God based on what he's already done for us, based on what he's revealed himself to be and what he's done to change us. That's what happens with Isaiah. Look at verse 9 and 10 because God does give him details of the type of ministry, the type of service that Isaiah was going to step into. Look what it says. He says, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. I mean, who would volunteer for that, right? I mean, who would volunteer to step into a ministry in which you know that the vast majority of the people that you share the message of God's love with, your family, your friends, your neighbors, those people that you you live next to, that you work with, those people are gonna hear the message of God's love and they're going to reject it. That's, That's oftentimes what happens. That's oftentimes what we experience in our neighborhoods. We celebrate when things go well at Halloween. But for everyone who had great ministry at Halloween, there are numerous ones of us who our Halloween was just okay. We knocked on our neighbor's door and they just threw a Twix out and slammed it. And who likes Twix? (laughs) Two over there. But... But that's oftentimes what happens. Oftentimes what we experience is hard. It is difficult. Isaiah would have experienced all of that. Isaiah would have experienced those sleepless nights, those days that were long. He would have experienced waking up one day and doubting whether he could do it again. Doubting whether he had what it took. Doubting whether God could really use him. Thinking maybe he made a mistake. Maybe he wasn't the right one for the job. Maybe he was too quick to volunteer yet, while well, he remembered, he remembered who it was that God was. He never lost that sense of awe, that sense of wonder that the God of the universe, that angels won't look at, would, would save even me. He would pour out his grace upon me and meet the needs that I have. That sense of wonder, that sense of awe is what strengthens us to carry on through the difficulty. It's what strengthened Isaiah to keep going, to keep presenting that message. As he looked back at what God has done for him. It gave him the strength to carry on in the present. But it wasn't just in looking back that he was able to stay strong, to keep going and to remain faithful. It was also as he looked to the future. Look at in verse 11. He says what any one of us would have said, if God gives us that type of, of, of ministry, that type of service, this is the way we'd respond. How long, Lord? How long, are, how long do I have to do this? If you can give me an end date, I think I could handle that. But I need to know no more than 18 months. And this is what God gives them. Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. As you skip down to verse 13, look at the way it ends. So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Here's what's pretty incredible here. If, if, if you track this idea of the seed, it begins in Genesis 3 as Adam and Eve are told about a seed of woman who is coming, who is going to crush the head of the serpent. It shows up again in Genesis 12 as, as the seed of Abram is going to be a blessing to all the nations in the earth. And the seed is this idea of a Messiah, the savior who was coming and this person was going to come and where there was cursing in the world, all of a sudden he was gonna show up and it was gonna be blessed. Where there was darkness in the world, all of a sudden he was gonna show up and light was going to shine. Where there was hostility in the world, he was gonna show up and peace was going to reign. And so the people anticipated this. They waited expectantly for this person to come. They were looking for him to come generation after generation after generation. And Isaiah shows up on the scene and this is the ministry that God gives them. And God says, you gotta remain faithful to it. And he says, how? How can I remain faithful to it? And God says, a seed's coming. A redeemer is coming. It's not always gonna be this way. There's going to be one who's going to show up and all of a sudden, all that we see that's wrong in this world, he's gonna put an end to it. All of a sudden, when he shows up, when that seed is on the scene, it's not gonna be this way anymore. That's what you've got to look for. And here's the point, Isaiah was able to remain strong because hope comes as we look to our redeemer, not our results. It wasn't about whether people were gonna respond to his message. It wasn't about the results he was going to see in his present. He had to make sure that his hope came from looking to the savior who was coming, knowing it wasn't always gonna be this way. And for each of us here this morning, we live expectantly waiting for Christ's return. We know that that redeemer is the Lord Jesus, that he has come before, he has conquered sin, and he he comes again, in which he's going to take away every tear, every pain, every struggle. He's going to make all things new. And until that time, here's, here's what we've been entrusted to do. We've been entrusted with the message of the good news, to proclaim the message of the gospel to all people. To proclaim that message and to live it out in our neighborhoods or in our homes with our children as they watch. To live it out in the workplace so that people see us and see that we're people that are different. And we're different not because we, we're, we see results, not because people are responding and thinking something of us. We're, we're different because we're awaiting someone who's coming. We're awaiting someone who's showing up. That we've experienced them in the past and the way that they've changed our lives through their grace. And we're waiting on Christ to come again. And until that time, we're going to stay strong. We're going to be faithful. We're going to be strong. And here's the deal for many of us. On the back end of, of Beyond Ordinary, you may be stepping into, you may be saying, you know what? I want to lead a community group in my neighborhood. My neighbors are walking through some stuff and I want to be able to step into that situation and meet the needs that they have. Here's the deal. There are going to be times in which you lean in and it's going to be challenging it's going to be difficult. Don't look for the results. Don't look for the response and, and, and stake your hope on that. Remember, even in the midst of those difficult times that you've got to be looking to the Redeemer. You've got to be looking to Christ and find your hope in Him. You may be serving in children's ministry and you may be saying, boy, I just don't know. I just don't know that this is what God has for me. I don't know if this is really where He would use me. This is... If I'm the guy for for this job, don't look at the results. Don't look at the response of those kids. You are planting seeds in their lives for the gospel. In those moments, look to the redeemer. Look to him and say, he's the one I'm finding my hope in. He's the one I'm finding my strength in. He's the one who can help me meet the need that God has put before me. So what does this look like for us? What does it look like for us to to lean into those situations, to remain steadfast, to have that staying power in the midst of trying circumstances. In the midst of those times in which we feel like God is calling us to go into a place where we're not really sure if that's the right situation. Well, I've got a story I want to share of someone in our midst who's done that. Uh, She felt like the Lord was calling her. She wasn't really sure if the situation was the right fit. She couldn't shake it. She couldn't get over the fact that I feel like that's what God has for me. I feel like that's what God wants me to do. So she took a step of faith. She took a step of faith into something that was uncomfortable. She reminds all of us that that's what God calls us to do as well, to remain strong in the midst of that, relying on him to give us the strength we need to meet the needs we see. So let's take a look at that.
1: Um, My husband's been a part of the middle school ministry over there for probably a year or two now, and um, he really enjoys it there. And I've been kind of tugged at going over there on a couple of occasions, but have never really felt comfortable with it, never really felt adequate. You know, being a middle-aged mom, I really didn't feel I had much to offer. Um, The first day, I really was scared, really, to go. But as I um, drove over there, trying to talk myself out of it, you know, God just really spoke to me and and told me, you know, I know you're uncomfortable, but I'd like you to to go and do what I've asked you to do. I had those huge butterflies in my stomach that I usually get when I'm about to do something I'm not comfortable doing. And we walked into the SMB, and um, from the moment I got in there, I was uh, greeted by Caleb and Rob, and they helped make me feel comfortable. And um, the night turned out a lot different than I had expected it to. I think one of the things I've learned is that God never asks me to do something that I'm comfortable with. And I think the reason behind that is he wants me to understand that it's not me who's doing the thing, but it's him. And so he has shown me that when I'm outside my comfort zone, that that is when I'm gonna see him at work I'm gonna experience his power not only in my life but in the lives of the people around me and when I sit in my comfort zone I don't get to experience any of that it's just a neat experience to know that he's shown up and and he's gonna work through you so I have no idea what's gonna happen over there or what direction he's gonna take me in but I'm gonna continue to go over there and see how he can use me and um, hopefully make an impact somehow in the lives of some of those students.
3: I love Lisa's story uh, just because it's such a great picture for us. Of God may call us to do big things as a result. He may put something big on your heart. You may, you may decide, hey, I, I, want, I feel like God's calling me to go overseas. We've got short-term mission trips. That, that, may, be, that may be the way that you apply this. But for every one of us, On a day-to-day basis, there are needs all around us that we need to step into. Students, it may be someone in your class, it may be be a teammate, that you just need to remain faithful to to continue to pray for them and to reach out and to be a friend with them. For others, it may be stepping into other needs that that we're aware of, but saying, God, you know what? Uh, I don't know that I'm qualified for this, but I know that that you want to work in that situation, and you put me here right now. So I'm going to step into it. I'm going to trust that you're, you're going to meet me there. and You're going to help me to be able to, to meet the needs that I see. That's the way that we respond in worship. That's the way we live lifestyles of worship. It's by looking for ways that God is at work and stepping in uh, to those when we see him. For many of us, we, we've come this morning, and one of the ways we also want to respond in worship uh, is by giving sacrificially. And so here in a moment, um, the the offering place will be going around. And, and one of the things I'd encourage you during that time, uh, here on the screens, there are going to be a number of different passages uh, that remind us of God's nature, of God's character. I really would encourage you to meditate on those truths about who God is so that we corporately can, can experience that, that sense of wonder and awe at who God is and be reminded again of all that he's done for us and where we are right now. So let's pray. Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we, um, we are humbled as we think about the God of the universe pouring out his love on us and meeting the greatest need that we have in a way that um, not only changes us, but in a way that, that prevents us from ever going back to that again. Lord, we know that uh, you have called us to not just enjoy your love and your grace, but Lord, that we would be bearers of that with other people. And Lord, that's a hard challenge. At times we feel uncomfortable. At times we feel like we couldn't possibly be used. And Lord, I pray that as we are reminded of who you are, we remember that you are the one that gives us the strength. You're the one that allows us to meet the needs around us. And Father, I pray that that would give us confidence this morning. Lord, as we leave this place, we would have confidence knowing that you're not going to forsake us. You're not going to leave us on our own. But, Lord, as we step into those, Lord, you will model faithfulness for us as you are faithful to us uh, in those situations. Father, we long to be faithful as well and to express that characteristic of yours. Lord, we're so grateful for the way that we see it at work in our own lives. Lord, we pray these things all in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.